Good morning, Birdland. I'm Mark Brown. I've been blogging about the Orioles for more than a decade on CamdenChat.com and waiting for them to win the World Series for my whole life. Thanks for listening today. Let's talk some Orioles. It is June the 26th, 2023, and you know what? It's actually June the 25th, 2023, because for the first time ever, we're going to do a little breaking news edition of Good Morning Birdland. It's the evening, and the breaking news is that Jordan Westberg is being called up to the Orioles, first reported by ESPN's Jeff Passan, so we can pretty much take that to the bank. Westberg is arriving. Passan said that Westberg will be in the Orioles lineup on Monday, so that's plenty to be excited about. Westberg, I've really wanted to see him for a few weeks now since when I thought the Super 2 deadline had passed, as we talked about on this podcast. He uh, has hit 18 home runs so far for AAA Norfolk, which leads the entire Orioles organization. Nobody has more than 15, and of course, nobody in the Major League team has more than 14. Westberg has a respectable strikeout rate, 21.2%. Higher than some, but not high enough to be concerning. So, yeah, I mean, he's coming. I guess there are a bunch of questions now following from that, like where is he going to play? Uh, Most of his games, he's played in the minors, and that includes this year. He's played at shortstop, although pretty much every independent scouting report I've seen, so one that's not massaged in some way by a league-owned or team-owned source, generally seems to think that Jordan Westberg ultimately belongs at second base, probably uh, due to an arm strength problem, not having enough arm strength for shortstop or third base rather than anything else. So, okay, who is he going to replace? Well, neither Jorge Mateo nor Adam Frazier has hit in June. Jorge Mateo is the one who is a right-handed batter like Westberg. So if we assume the Orioles want to keep their same lefty-righty balance. Maybe that means that that's more in line with what they would want to do. You could see something like, okay, Jorge Mateo to the bench as kind of the utility infielder. That would probably leave other prospects. Joey Ortiz headed to the minors, I guess, maybe. There probably is going to need to be some kind of 40-man move. Well, there is to get Westberg onto the roster. So does that mean they're going to designate somebody for assignment who's currently on the major league team? Does that mean that There is an injury or a quote-unquote injury that we don't know about yet that will be announced along with the Westberg roster move tomorrow. I don't know. There is a lot here that we still don't know, even though there's been this exciting report that really one of the hottest hitting, if not the hottest hitting of all of the high minors uh, prospects is on the way to join the team. I am happy to see it because... The Orioles, although they have an excellent record, they're 47 and 29. I have felt like for a little while, it's going to take some additions to the roster in order for them to maintain anything close to the toward pace they've been on. And it seems like Westberg is going to be the first one of those. And so, you know, I am uh, excited. I'm excited about it. It should be, hopefully, a fun series coming up against the Reds. Okay. So there's our breaking news. Let me take a deep breath. Excuse me one moment. Okay, so yes, the Orioles are 47-29 and after Sunday's 3-2 win over the Seattle Mariners. They ended up taking two out of three games in that series, which it sure didn't feel like they were going to do after they got their butts blown out by a 13-1 score on Friday night. 
In Sunday's game, we had Anthony Santander with a home run robbery, and he also hit a two-run home run. Santander now has home runs in five of his last six games. We know from the past that Santander tends to hit home runs in clumps, and I guess what we can hope is that this current clump continues for you know as long as it possibly can before he goes back into a cool stretch. Orioles pitchers held Seattle batters to only three hits on Sunday afternoon. That was led by Kyle Bradish going seven innings, throwing a season-high 103 pitches, allowed just two hits and two walks over his seven-inning start, struck out seven batters. He's now got a 3.75 ERA on the season. Danny Colomb, Felix Bautista, one scoreless inning each. It was redemption for Felix Bautista after his blown save on Saturday, although the Orioles did still go on to win that game. He struck out three batters. He got his 21st save also in that game. Austin Hayes went one for three for the Orioles to have a 318 batting average for the season, which leaves him tied with Toronto's Bobachette, who went two for four on Sunday. And the reason why that is maybe important, as was noted by Masson's Kevin Brown over the weekend, is that the American League batting average leader has never failed to make an all-star team. So it, it has happened six times, I believe, Kevin said, in the National League. Uh, but it's never happened in the American League. So if Hayes is the AL batting average leader, it seems like he should be an all-star. Now, does that mean he's going to continue to be the batting average leader? No, he's very close to losing that top spot. And even if he does maintain it, that doesn't guarantee anything because patterns can always be broken at any time. It's already been broken in the NL. And, uh, you know, maybe Hayes will be the first to not make it in the AL. I don't know. But... It would be cool if uh, he was worthy of being an all-star outfielder reserve. In addition to who I think should be the Orioles' all-star locks, Adley Rutschman, a catcher, who's now in what MLB is calling phase two of the voting against uh, former Orioles prospect Jonah Heim. And so it's now going to be a vote-off between those two to see who's the starter. And then, of course, I think Felix Bautista should be a shoe-in because of his amazing pitching performance, especially his strikeouts. So the Orioles with their 47 and 29 record are four and a half games back of the Tampa Bay Rays who split four with the woeful Kansas city Royals going back to Thursday. That was a gift for the Orioles. And it was nice that they were the Orioles themselves were able to win two out of three over the Mariners to take a little bit of advantage there. The Orioles are five games ahead of the New York Yankees, five and a half ahead of the Toronto blue Jays and eight and a half above the last place, Boston Red Sox. So the Orioles at 47 and 29. Well, last year at one time, they had a record of 47 and 48. Two years ago at one time, they had a record of 47 and 102. So yeah, that's a little bit of improvement. And how have they done it? Well, you know, the Orioles, uh, they really took my hope for strategy for improvement this season, which was namely don't suck in April and May, which is what they did last year. They sucked in April and May, and by the time they were good and they tried to dig it out, dig themselves out of that hole, it was too much. They just couldn't do it even after, you know, the 10-game winning streak. That was awesome. Uh, so this year, they went 19-9 and in March and April combined, 16-12 and in the month of May, and they are so far 12-8 and in June. So they've guaranteed at least a 500 record in June, although certainly we will be hoping they can do better than 500 for the month. If they go 500 from here, there are 86 games remaining, 43 and 43. That would get them to exactly 
90 wins. If they stay at their current winning percentage, they would finish with 100 wins, which would be amazing. The Orioles, with their current record, are tied with their season high of games above 500, now 18 games over 500. So if they can win on Monday, if they can win, they will be a new season high, 19 games over 500, which I believe they have not reached since the 2014 season. So occasionally on this show, I have talked about the Pythagorean expected win-loss record uh, based on runs scored and runs allowed. And the 13-1 to blowout on Friday actually kicked the Pythagorean expected record even worse for the Orioles. So they are, in fact, plus six wins of quote-unquote luck over their Pythagorean record. So next up, we're going to find out what they've got against the Cincinnati Reds. And the Reds just had a 12-game winning streak snapped on Saturday. They went on to lose two out of three games to the Atlanta Braves. They now have a 41-37 and record, which is good enough for first place in the NL Central, which, you know, that must be nice. Although the Orioles, having lost the last two series they played against NL Central teams, that being the Brewers and the Cubs, I guess cannot be too cocky about that. The big story for the Reds quite recently is that they promoted their own top prospect, L.A. De La Cruz, within the last three weeks. De La Cruz was a preseason top MLB, top 10 in MLB prospect. He's already hit for the cycle within his first 17 games in the majors. So, you know, Orioles fans can say, oh, wow, it'll be really exciting to have like Westberg versus De La Cruz. But let's be honest, Westberg was not on De La Cruz's level of prospect hype overall across the whole league. I am excited for Westberg to arrive, but, you know, uh, that, that's not, um, they're not on the same level. Hopefully Westberg still will be exciting. But anyway, as far as the Reds, they've got veteran Joey Votto has returned recently to the lineup for what's probably going to be his swan song. The Reds as a team are number two in the entire National League in on-base percentage. They've got four of their regular batters with an OPS over 800, and that's not counting the two recent editions of De La Cruz and Votto. Uh, Votto's really only got a handful of games so far, so really small sample size for him. One thing the Reds showed recently to show that they're serious about competing is that they released struggling outfielder Will Myers, who just wasn't getting the job done. And, you know, sometimes you got to do that when you're contending unexpectedly and guys are not living up to what you thought they were going to do. So, I mean, the Orioles are maybe about to have to make that decision themselves when they make room for Jordan Westberg on the roster. So, yeah, I mean, the Reds, they're a surprising team. If you want to talk about, oh, Pakoda and the other projections hate the Orioles, well, they hated the Reds even more this year because the Pakoda system projected 66 wins for the Cincinnati Reds. Now, you know, one way you might say, well, maybe Pakoda was right about the Reds is this team is 14th in the National League, or was going into Sunday's games with uh, their 4.97 ERA as a team. 4.96 ERA, excuse me. So yeah, I mean, that's a bad that's a bad ERA to have in 2023. And even in a weak division, that's, uh, that's a tough one to maintain quality record if you're going to have that kind of pitching. So I, I mean, that's really going to be the story of this upcoming series, because the Reds starting pitchers. On Monday, they've got a guy named Brandon Williamson. He's a lefty. He's got a 5.40 ERA across seven games started so far. So on Tuesday, they've got a young pitcher named Andrew Abbott. He has not been bad. Actually, he's been very good. A 1.14 ERA, though that's only through four games started. 
And then the Wednesday scheduled starter, Luke Weaver, has a 6.86 ERA in 12 games. So, I mean, the Orioles, they, they, they've got to take advantage of those guys with their elevated ERAs. And the, the only problem is Monday's Orioles starter, Cole Irvin, also has an elevated ERA, even worse than Williamson, who he's paired against. And, you know, he's really done nothing so far to show that he deserves to keep an Orioles roster spot, uh, rotation spot in the long run even though that's what the Orioles surely thought he would be able to do when they traded for him over the offseason. Okay, Tuesday, Abbott has a good ERA, but the Orioles are pairing him, uh, going to have him face off against Tyler Wells, who is the best Orioles starting pitcher so far. Homer prone, a little bit of a problem. Uh, in fact, it won't be at all surprising if Ellie De La Cruz hits a home run off of Tyler Wells. So we'll see how it shakes out, I guess. Wednesday scheduled starter, Kyle Gibson, coming off his worst start as an Oriole where he gave up five earned runs in three innings. So, you know, Kyle really needs to pitch better than that against the Reds, and hopefully the Orioles can at least win two out of three of this series because with those starting pitchers, it's going to be a darn shame if they don't. If you have an Orioles opinion you would like to share or a question for a future episode, you can email camdencastpod at gmail.com. Thank you to everyone who has written in so far. I will be right back after a message from a Fans First Sports Network sponsor. All right, and so we had a crazy beginning of the episode, but we're going to wrap things up the way we've been normally doing on this show and do a couple prospects of the episode. Now that I've gotten through the top 30 composite list on CamdenChat.com, I'm splitting this segment between one unheralded prospect and one revisited prospect from the list. So the unheralded prospect I'm going to talk about today is John Pinto, Gene, I don't know. I've never heard his name spoken out loud. He's a right-handed pitcher. He was the younger of the uh, two pitchers the Orioles acquired for Jose Iglesias in their December 2020 trade with the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, Orange County, California, United States of America, et cetera, et cetera. So Pinto is a 22-year-old who was signed by the Angels out of Venezuela. In the first season he spent in the Orioles system, He kind of got himself onto my sleeper radar with a combined line between the complex league and low A of a 2.30 ERA over 14 games. He had an 11.3 strikeouts per nine innings, a 2.3 walks per nine innings, which is about a five strikeout to walk ratio. That's really good. 0.855 whip. However, he was not able to keep up that level of success last year for high A Aberdeen where he posted a 3.83 ERA, was down to a 10.1 strikeouts per nine innings number, and crucially, the walk rate was elevated to 4.5 walks per nine innings. So that got him sent back to Aberdeen to start off this season, repeating the level. Not a great sign for prospects, although if they do better on their second taste of the level, then that gets them moving up the ladder again, and that can be good. And that's exactly what happened to Pinto. He made 12 starts for Aberdeen this season, posted a 2.86 ERA, crucially 12.7 strikeouts per nine innings with only a 3.2 walks per nine innings. So it added up to a 1.132 whip. Very, very good numbers. Uh, He was recently promoted to double A Bowie. So, I mean, Pinto at 22, he's still young for this system. He was literally the youngest player to throw a pitch for the Aberdeen Ironbirds so far this season. And now he is also the youngest player to throw a pitch for the double-A Bowie Bay Sox so far this season. So he is a young guy, and he has room to grow 
uh, without being concerned about what he's going to be in the future. So hopefully he can get some good results uh, so far, or for the rest of the season, excuse me, at Bowie. He's only made one appearance there. He walks three guys in four and a third inning. So, okay, that's, um, that's not the greatest, but it's only one game. So his season, he has a trend where he's only gone five innings pitched in uh, three of his 13 starts. He's never gone beyond five. And he hasn't thrown more than 75 pitches. Uh, he didn't throw more than 75 in any of his Aberdeen games. And only in his first game with Bowie did he throw 83 pitches. So what that points to is something that I think is pointed at in a uh, Fangraph scouting report from before this season on Pinto. Now, they didn't have him rated high, but they did have him rated. The Fangraphs rated 38 Orioles prospects, and Pinto was number 36 out of that 38. And here's what they said about him. Quote, Pinto has a plus slider and an above-average changeup, but he struggles to throw strikes with his 91 to 92-mile-an-hour fastball. He pitches backwards a lot, and scouts think he'll wind up in long relief because he's doing from the beginning of the game what most starters do the second and third time through the order. He has a catcherly build, now listed at 5 foot 11 inches, 210 bounds pounds. His walk rate ticked up each year in pro ball and spin rates have keeled off, end quote. So those are not great things if you're going to say, okay, Pincho is now going to have an uninterrupted ascent to the Orioles starting rotation. I kind of think, okay, you know what? The long relief ceiling, I can believe it. And it seems like the Orioles can too, because like I said, he's only gone five innings, at least five and no more than five in three of his 13 starts this year. So it doesn't seem like the Orioles are trying to rush him, you know, six and seven innings. So Pinto, well, he's at the double-A level now, and uh, best of luck to him there. I hope he can get kind of back into sleeper status a little bit, and maybe we'll find ourselves talking about him a bit more going into next season. Okay, so now, revisited, let's revisit the number four guy on the preseason top 30 that I posted to Camden Chat, and that was D.L. Hall, which... Like when I brought up Grayson Rodriguez for this segment, it requires a big size, so let's just get it out of our system. <sighs> okay, D.L. Hall. So, his problems for this season really started in the offseason when he suffered a lumbar or back injury that delayed his start to spring training. And the current story about Hall is that the lumbar injury led to a lack of offseason work for him or his usual level of work that didn't let him do the strength training he would have normally done leading to diminished velocity up to three miles an hour below where he was throwing last year with what he's done so far this season. So he then was reported to go what the team called a deload with the AAA Norfolk Tides that's now been going on for nearly six weeks, and that was shorter outings and more strength work. And so he had like three three-inning outings, and then about a week ago, a little more than a week, in fact, he was assigned to the Florida Complex League, the lowest U.S.-based minor leagues, to kind of continue his deload. So, you know, I, I don't like to hear about an Orioles prospect, just weird stuff that you don't really hear about any other prospect undergoing. Um, you know, if things are going well, you don't get sent to the Florida Complex League. That's kind of an obvious thing to say, but sometimes it's good to keep the obvious in mind rather than do the fan thing and automatically, you know, assume the best. Like sometimes bad news is bad news. And it doesn't mean that the Orioles have some kind of magic ability to avoid this bad news. Right. So, yeah, I mean, 
you don't hear about, oh, other pitching prospects go under a deload. And, you know, although Blue Jays near Cy Young winner Alec Manoa did recently get busted all the way back down to the Florida Complex League. That's another case of if things are going well, you don't send a guy who's been in Major League Baseball there for anything other than a rehab, you know, start his rehab outings. And that's not what's going on. So, yeah, Hall's results so far this year, he made 11 starts with the Tides, 4.57 ERA in that time, a 1.476 whip. Main problem, always the main problem for D.L. Hall, too many walks, 5.7 walks per nine innings. And it's not trending towards a fix, even when they've been having him throw shorter outings, even during his deload, where he made three inning starts, his last two games there, he walked four batters in three and a third innings in one of them and three batters in three innings in other. So, I mean, you know, what, what can you do? What can you do with him? I don't know. I don't know what's next for him because, like, he's no help to the Orioles in his current state. Uh, you know, he maybe still has some lingering prospect stock if there's a team that believes, okay, you know what, we can fix him. Maybe that makes him trade bait for a rebuilding team, and then we cross our fingers and hope it's not a new Jake Arrieta kind of situation, and also hope that if the Orioles trade Hall, they get a better guy back than when they traded Arietta and Pedro Strope, Pedro Strope for Scott Feldman, who was not sufficient um, on his own or in combination with the other 2013 Orioles trade additions to have that season end up in the playoffs. So, yeah, I mean, this year's not the last chance for Hall. He does have a minor league option for next year as well. But time is kind of running out. And, you know, the Orioles are kind of running out of dead weight on their 40-man roster. And so I do wonder if a team calls about him, especially if it's a team that maybe is offering a starting pitcher, I wonder if the Orioles would be willing to part with him. And, you know, if that would lead to us getting heartburn or things working out well for both sides or what. I don't know. But I think if somebody wants him, the Orioles, I would hope, would explore that because, you know, we've all been thinking, oh, they're going to have to trade guys like Westberg, Kobe Mayo, Ortiz, Connor Norby, uh, Cesar Prieto, the hitters. Well, you know, if you can maybe trade a guy who's at best going to be a reliever, maybe, like Hall seems to be, then that's not bad if that's your your headliner or your second guy in the trade or whatever. I don't know. As I said in the last episode, we're just going to have to wait and see what happens with the trade. And in the meantime, the Orioles, 47 and 29, Westberg joining the team. That's pretty freaking awesome. We'll see, I guess, how Westberg does. He may struggle as some of the rookies have done. I mean, Adley Rutschman struggled in his first six weeks or so. Henderson, Gunnar Henderson went through a tough patch early this season. So, you know, uh, we'll see what happens. Westberg, maybe in his favor, he had really more than a full season worth of plate appearances for Triple A, so he got the seasoning. And whatever that's going to be, uh, whatever help that's going to be, he's bringing that up to Baltimore on Monday. Hopefully, that's going to mean some exciting games against the Reds. So yeah, that's all I've got for today. If you're enjoying this podcast, you can subscribe on your favorite platform and leave a rating or review. Or tell an Orioles fan in your life about the show. New episodes come out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning. So unless there's crazy breaking news on Tuesday that leaves me to have another slightly early episode, I'll see you on Wednesday morning. In between now and then, you can leave a comment on CamdenChat.com or tweet at me at CamdenChat on Twitter. Good Morning Birdland is a CamdenCast production on the Fans First Sports Network. 
Until next time, go O's.